Welcome to the Jewish Lives Podcast, a monthly show by Jewish Lives, the prize-winning biography series published by Yale University Press and the Leon D. Black Foundation. I'm your host, Alessandra Wallner. Today, we're looking at one of America's most notorious Jewish gangsters, Bugsy Siegel. In the second part of the show, I'll sit down with Michael Schneerson, author of the Jewish Lives biography, Bugsy Siegel, The Dark Side of the American Dream. If you like what you hear, rate us on Apple Podcasts and leave a friendly review. Thank you in advance. You can learn more about our books at jewishlives.org. Join us as we explore the Jewish experience together. The Vegas Strip pulses neon from dusk till dawn, an oasis fueled by dreams of hitting it big. The man who envisioned Las Vegas, as we know it, parlayed a life of poverty into one of glamour and crime. He was the American Jewish mobster, Bugsy Siegel. Bugsy, dressed impeccably, charmed extravagantly, and with the Jewish mob, killed ruthlessly. His start, like so many first-generation American Jews, was humble. He was born Benjamin Siegel, 1906, in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, to poor Jews from the Galicia region of Austria-Hungary. As a boy, he ran with street gangs. As a teen, he partnered with Meyer Lansky, another up-and-coming American Jewish gangster. Over the course of decades, the two built an empire of organized crime. They started as bootleggers and hitmen. Later, Siegel and Lansky co-founded the bluntly named Murder, Inc., a national killer-for-hire operation. Then, like so many Americans before him, Siegel headed west to find his fortune, settling in Los Angeles, where he devoted himself to racketeering, murdering, and mixing with the biggest Hollywood stars. Always on the lookout for the next source of easy money, at the end of World War II, Siegel saw something in a dusty expanse of Nevada desert that no one else did. At the time, Las Vegas was unregulated, unpopulated, and there for the taking by anyone with the vision and the cash. In 1946, Siegel opened the grand double doors of the Flamingo, the first luxury casino in Las Vegas. The Flamingo was a huge draw, but built on debt and duplicity, it wasn't long before Siegel's bad dealing caught up with him. On June 20th, 1947, Siegel was shot through the plate glass window at his girlfriend's place in Beverly Hills. Who did it and why? remains a mystery. But one thing's for sure, when we think of Sin City, 
we have Bugsy Siegel to thank. Discover the story of the notorious Jewish gangster who ascended from impoverished beginnings to the glittering Las Vegas Strip in Bugsy Siegel, The Dark Side of the American Dream by Michael Schneerson. Save 25% and get free shipping for a limited time only. Use code Bugsy at checkout only at jewishlives.org. I also want to tell you about a podcast you might enjoy as a fan of Jewish Lives. It's called Judaism Unbound. Hosts Dan Liebenson and Lex Rofberg explore what it means to be Jewish in the 21st century, interviewing artists, musicians, rabbis, and scholars on a journey to better understand our history, traditions, and texts, and to imagine a Judaism that resonates with the Jews of today and tomorrow. So, if you're curious about the most exciting thinking in the Jewish world today, tune in to Judaism Unbound wherever you get your podcasts. Or visit www.judaismunbound.com. Hi, Michael Schneerson, and welcome to the podcast. Hi, Alessandra. Thanks for having me. Now, Bugsy Siegel is a rogue figure in the Jewish Lives series. He's certainly our first mobster. So I want to ask you why he's included and what his life tells us about the American Jewish experience. Well, I think you can't really have a comprehensive uh, group of types, if you will, that define a culture uh, without uh, (laughs) a few of those on the wrong side of the law. Bugsy tells us a lot about how tough you had to be to survive as a Jew in 19th century, early 20th century. Uh, And I think that's very valuable. Um, Not only that, but his story is quite colorful and um, compelling. And how did he get involved in the criminal world? Well, he would say he had no choice. Uh, His uh, parents, uh, as with so many Jews of that time came across from Eastern Europe, in their case, the Ukraine. They were basically penniless. His father got a job in a pants factory, terribly difficult work that he kept pretty much his whole life. And uh, it was either that for Bugsy or or, or learn from the streets how to survive uh, in an ultimately more gratifying way. And he chose the streets. Um, And from the age of... uh, you know, even 10, he was out there hustling. He would uh, essentially hold up the merchants, the street merchants, and demand uh, money from them or uh, threaten to uh, poison their horses. Um, these criminal acts taught him how to get around and, and ultimately how to get beyond the streets. And he preferred to be called Ben, but most people remember him by a nickname he got on the streets that he hated, Bugsy. Where did that come from, and why did he dislike it? Ben Siegel became Bugsy in the streets because his temper was so incandescent that he actually could look sort of crazy and crazy malevolent. You know, some would say that it indicated he really was nuts. 
Bugsy hated the name, or Ben, I should say, hated the name Bugsy because he found it demeaning. He did not think he was crazy. He probably wasn't crazy. And, you know, <laughs> uh, you wouldn't want that name if you felt it was unfairly, if you were unfairly tarred with it. But he was also, you could argue, uh, very clever in terrifying people with the acts of uh, almost crazy temper that he could uh, exhibit. And maybe that helped uh, make him the successful gangster that he was, because he did become one of America's most successful gangsters, not merely colorful or murderous, but successful. Uh, And I think a lot of it has to do with that name. We've all heard that saying that we're judged by the friends we hang out with. And Siegel was extremely close to Meyer Lansky. Can you tell us about that unholy alliance? Meyer and Ben were close friends from early life in the streets. Partly it was their Jewishness, but I think much more the fact that they were both quite fearless and that they complemented each other in their strengths. You know, Bugsy was brutal or could be and struck fear into anyone's heart. Uh, Meyer was sort of the financial genius, not with any particular temper uh, at all, but with the genius to create and expand this criminal enterprise. So each brought a very essential skill to the game. Bugsy Siegel was infamous for many reasons, racketeering, gambling, but he's best known for his role in creating the Las Vegas we know today. So I wanted to ask, what was Vegas like when Siegel first encountered it, and how did he envision it? Ben began going up to Vegas um, in the mid-30s after he moved to L.A. and became what he called a sportsman, which basically meant uh, everything from horse racing to murder. And he saw the enormous potential that Vegas had as, as a gambling magnet. There were at that time just these little humble casinos. They, they called them sort of the wagon wheel and sawdust casinos, literally wagon wheels on the walls and sawdust on the floor. And what Ben saw was that there was an enormous possibility to build not just larger casinos, but what they call casino hotels. So you would go up there for the weekend. You would sleep you know, one of the hotels, you would gamble the next day. You would gamble all through the following day playing what they called the race wire, betting on the horses illegally. So Ben uh, began looking in in the early 40s for a place that he could make his own and realize this vision that he had for a a sort of Monaco-like casino, an elegant international scale casino. And, And so he pursued it and it became the Flamingo. Let's say I booked a room at the Flamingo in 1946, the year it was built. When I walked into the lobby, what would I see? To anyone who uh, was accustomed to Nevada's usual casinos, uh, the, the sort of wagon wheel on the walls and sawdust on the floor joints, walking into the Flamingo was a, an astonishing comparison. First of all, even before you walked in, there was this illuminated tower that beamed colorful light out into the desert in all directions. There were pink flamingos strutting around, not for long since they died in the climate, but nevertheless, they were there. Uh, When you walked in through these immense double doors, you saw all this sort of wonderfully garish uh, furniture design chosen by uh, uh, Bugsy's uh, gun mall 
girlfriend, Virginia Hill, things like tufted red and green leather sofas. Oh, and I should say, too, that after you'd settled in with, with your first or second drink and did a little gambling, you would enjoy the entertainment of the evening. And uh, it would be anyone from Lena Horne to Jimmy Durante. Bugsy was maybe the first or among the first of this sort of new breed of casino owners who saw the advantage of having really top-rate entertainment, expensive entertainment, uh, because it brought in the crowds and it, and it gave the whole place a kind of um, elegant frosting and made it more the international scale casino that he he envisioned from the start. Speaking of Virginia Hill, I wanted to ask you about her. She was a very important figure in Siegel's life. Why was that? When Virginia um, and Ben met through gangster friends, they were immediately drawn to each other, and I think it's fair to say they were they were kindred spirits. They had both come from extremely tough, hard scrabble backgrounds. They'd clawed their way up. Ben found her very appealing because, first of all, she was beautiful. She had this sort of dark red or auburn hair, these sort of iridescent gray-green eyes, and a very um, husky voice and sexy manner. You knew that she knew (laughs) how to make things fun. He was even more attracted, I think, by the fact that she was completely unconquerable by him or anyone else. Turning to a slightly different topic, I want to talk about the paradox that was Ben Siegel. He was both a murderer and a contributor to Jewish philanthropy. How do you reconcile that in the book? Well, Ben uh, may not have been much of a philanthropist through much of his life, but with the end of the war and the realization of how horrible the, the Holocaust had been, he, like really every other Jewish gangster, looked for ways to, to take revenge, if you will, uh, and to provide protection, good American gangster protection to the nascent state of Israel. And so in Ben's case, it involved meeting this very tough uh, Israeli soldier or officer who had been assigned to go to Hollywood and raise money for Israel. They met in a fancy L.A. restaurant in the back room, and the the Israeli officer uh, explained that they were raising money to do whatever needed to be done. And Ben thought this was appealing, and he leaned forward and he said, you mean you'd you'd shoot people? You'd shoot Arabs to, to preserve the land of Israel? And he said, yes, we absolutely would. And with that... Ben gave him the first of many bags of loose cash and um, in that way helped the cause and felt pretty good about being a, a tough Jew. So as with many a good gangster story, it ends in Siegel's murder, which remains unsolved to this day. And as you say in the book, there are a lot of theories about why he was killed and by whom. Who do you think did it? Well, everybody was a suspect in the murder of Ben Bugsy Siegel. You know, one of the one of the first suspects was the the mob uh, collectively, who were very angry at the way their investment in the flamingo had led to losing their money. They were suspects. There was a whole cadre of these race wire guys who worked uh, in the various states in the West and Northwest uh, conducting illegal horse betting uh, operations and paying Ben for the privilege of that. And he began to squeeze them as his financial needs arose for the Flamingo. So there was motivation for them to kill him too. I've always had uh, a, a theory of my own, though, about that. 
It's slightly wacky, but it makes sense. And that is that I think uh, Virginia Hill had something to do with it. By the time uh, spring 1947 rolled around, the mob was pretty convinced that Virginia and Ben, lovebirds that they were, had skimmed from the Flamingo's uh, take and uh, put the money in Switzerland. So they were very angry at Virginia, but they were also angry at Ben. And so my theory is that uh, Virginia saw that Ben was going to be killed one way or another. If she did nothing about it, then he would get killed and she would still be seen as the person who skimmed the money. But if she set up the shooting through, in fact, her younger brother, who had just gotten out of the military and knew a lot about firearms, if she did that on her own, uh, they, the mob, would be in a mood to decide that she had earned her uh, survival. And actually, you know, Meyer Lansky believed something like this. He didn't go into the detail I'm going in, but he said he always thought that uh, Virginia's younger brother had had something to do with it. And he said vociferously that he had not himself uh, either killed his lifelong friend nor hired or in any way been part of a, an operation to take Ben out. What do you think Bugsy Siegel would make of your book? What an interesting question. Um, I think he would like it a lot. First of all, I'm never less than respectful of Ben and of what he accomplished, albeit at the barrel end of a gun. But, you know, he, he had a lot to admire, and I think he would be pleased and also somewhat surprised that someone actually wrote a book about him at all. I don't think he read many of them, but also that it... Uh, it gave him his due and, uh, and to some extent sympathized with him. And if you could talk to Bugsy Siegel, is there anything you'd ask or say? I guess if I were to ask Ben Siegel a question, I would ask him, how would you have spent the rest of your life? Would you have actually gone legit the way you always said you were going to do, the way every gangster says he's going to do? Or... Let's face it. Let's be honest here, Ben. Would you, in fact, have gone on doing exactly what you're doing, making money illegally, killing people when you had to do it, and living as a criminal, no matter how much you said you wanted to put that life behind you? Thank you, Michael Schneerson, and congratulations on your new book, Bugsy Siegel, The Dark Side of the American Dream. Thanks, Alessandra. Nice to be with you. The Jewish Lives podcast is made possible by the Leon D. Black Foundation. Special thanks to our partners at Yale University Press, Jewish Lives editorial director Eileen Smith, series editors Anita Shapira and Stephen J. Zipperstein, managing director Rebecca Keyes, and to Linda Brennan and Ruby Elliott Zuckerman. The Jewish Lives podcast is hosted and produced by me, Alessandra Wallner. Our music is composed by Barry J. Cohen. Groucho Marx once said, Outside of a dog, a book is man's best friend. Inside of a dog, it's too dark to read. Learn more about our books at jewishlives.org.